but I want to ask Brother Tom to come right now. And uh, each night we've been highlighting different mission work and outreach things that we're doing through our church here. And uh, so Tom is going to share with us a little bit about our children's program on Wednesday night as we work with boys and girls and tell them about Jesus and memorize scripture and all that good stuff. Tom. Thank you, Pastor. So every Wednesday night um, over in the Fellowship Hall and a little bit outside, we have our Awana Children's Program. And the thing about this program that's amazing and I love about it is it's centered on the Word of God. We've had kids, uh, about 20 or so kids, memorize several hundred verses combined over the course of the last three months. And it's really been a blessing to see each one of the kids as they come back excited, ready to learn verses. We have a little game time, but about half to two-thirds of the time spent is spent around the Word of God. We have a Bible lesson that's geared towards them learning more about who God is and what the Bible says. And on top of that, then we have a special time. We get around small groups, and they get to share and talk about the lesson that they learned that week as they have a little guide that takes them through different Bible verses and different things that they can learn about God. And then at the end of that, there's three or four or five, maybe six verses some weeks. And some of the kids get to have said all of those several weeks. And there's the younger kids that have their books that they go through as well. And it's really been a blessing getting to work with your kids as they really have loved. It's not just, hey, we get to come, here's the book, we get to memorize it, we go home. They really enjoy it. They'll spend, some of them have come, maybe missed a week the week before, and have spent 20 and 30 minutes just sitting with me after it's over just to memorize scripture. And to me, that's been the biggest blessing is seeing their desire to learn the verses and to learn more about the Word of God. And we have Awana again, I believe, tomorrow night with the kids at 7 o'clock. So if you're not part of Awana, we encourage you to come back and to be a part of that. Let's pray and open up the service this morning. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity we have to learn more about missions and the need around the world and our need to share the gospel with the people in our area as well. Lord, I pray that as we go through this service that we would never forget, never forget to, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that as we talked about a minute ago with the Wanda, that us as adults, we wouldn't forget to have that love and desire and yearning to learn the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the rest of the service, bless the singing to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Billy. For those who don't know my name yet, my name is Billy. And I was born and raised in India. I came to America in 2013 uh, to, go, to go to Bible College, uh, West Coast Baptist College in California. Um, most of you probably know a lot about India. Um, tonight I'm primarily going to talk about Northeast India, which is where I'm from, and we're going to talk more. Uh, to begin, I'm going to start talking a little bit, uh, some numbers and statistics about the country of India, then I'll try to explain a little bit more about North India, which is where I'm from. So um, in 2011, according to the census, uh, there are 1.2 billion people in India. So to help us understand that a little bit, let's take the population of Indonesia. That's the fourth, the fifth largest, I think. Yes, fifth largest. And Brazil, the fourth. And add America. And add another America to, to have that number, that many people. That's a lot of people. There are... 1,652 languages and dialects, 
in 23 major official languages. And I don't even know the number of how many gods that people worship every single day. I grew up in India, I had a lot of friends, and I, I don't even know, I remember I had some friends, um, when I went to visit them, they had lot, lots of pictures on their walls, and the next time I went to visit them, they, they added more pictures to, to, to the gods that they worship, and they started adding, it was, it was funny, at one point I even saw a picture of Jesus on the wall. So many people are blindly following religious leaders, hundreds of, and on top of that, hundreds and millions of people are in poverty with no hope other than the hope of Jesus Christ. Here are a few, a few numbers about the religions uh, in India. 79.8% are Hindus, 14.23% are Muslims. And 2.3 are Christians. And 3.6 are considered, uh, are in the group as others. I don't know what all that, that's uh, in that others, but 2.3% are only Christians. I grew up in a little state in the east of India called Manipur. Uh, Manipur is a beautiful place a be well, uh, with hills on all over the side surrounding the state, as you saw in the pictures. Um, and I grew up in a city in the, uh, called Imphal, which is the capital of Manipur. Uh, Manipur is one of the poorest country, a uh, poorest state in India, and uh, considered one of the most backward state even in the country. Uh, just. Just to help us understand what that's like is like uh, I was I saw an article last year that the last village that ever got electricity was in Manipur, and that was in 2018. <laughs> Just think about that. In 2018 was the first time they had electricity, and, and as I mentioned, there are uh, lots of many different languages in India. Um, in my state where I grew up, we had about 33 different dialects, and I belong to a tribe called Kolm, and we speak Kolm, and I grew up learning Manipuri, which is the state language, and then we, we learn English. I'm still learning English, and we uh, also learn Hindi, and I, I, I had the opportunity to learn a few other dialects from our neighboring states. Um, there are a few things that I would we can pray for India, how we can pray for India, as Pastor has mentioned, how ministry opportunities in India, especially in the Northeast. Uh, one of the main things I could think of is the ability to reach people in different languages. There's so many different languages, especially uh, talking about the Bible. Um, right now, my dad is translating the Bible in our own dialect in Kom. He's still working on the New Testament first. He started with the New Testament first, and he's planning to work on the Old, Test Old Testament le later. But that's one out of 1,600 languages in India. The population of my state is 2.7 million. And I would just encourage or challenge us to 
pray or I don't, I don't even know how we can fix that problem or how we can uh, uh, yeah, fix that problem. I, th I think the best way we can do is pray that there will be more people who will be able and be willing to translate the Bible in all those dialects. And secondly, um, to provide a good training for pastors in that region. Uh, there are many Bible colleges uh, in in southern part of the in uh, part of the country. Uh, maybe some of you have heard uh, met missionaries from India, and a lot of times they're from the southern part of India because there are many good Bible colleges. But where I'm from, especially in my state, uh, there's not a lo lot of good Bible teaching bi colleges, and just. Uh, I remember about two years ago, I went to India with Pastor Brandon. Some of you know him from uh, Hillcrest Baptist Church. Uh, we had a, a seminar or a training for pastors for a week. And he was just talking about the Great Commission and how pastors prepare for their sermon. I, I know that's, that's something really basic, but it was almost foreign to them. The pastors, they've been uh, pastors for a long time. They've been preaching for a long time and preparing a sermon before Sunday is something new. Can you imagine Pastor Will coming up here every Sunday without preparing his sermons? <laughs> I, I don't know how he would do that. I'm sure we can, we will all be able to find out that he didn't prepare, you know. Uh, I'm thankful that he does. I know that he does and every week we get good preaching every week and it helps us and encourages every week and so the best, so one thing we could pray for is to provide, to be able to have good training for pastors in that region. And thirdly, um, just to pray for ministry leaders to find ways to overcome tribal differences. What I mean by that is we have so many different tribes. And so uh, evangelism, what we talked about a few, few nights, and it becomes very limited in a way that for example, in my tribe, uh, we have our own tribe, tribal church. Uh, we, we speak in Qom, and when, whenever we have visitors, we're sorry, we can't understand. And we're not going to change anything because tribal comes first. Our language comes first. There were times in uh, growing up, we had some men who uh, witnessed to other uh, people from different tribes, and they got saved, and they tried to come to our church. They started coming to our church, but... Uh, when, when the pastor tried to uh, preach in Manipuri, which is our state language, people get offended. People don't want to come to church because they, this is our tribe and we can't speak any other language in our church. So that becomes very, very limited for us to evangelize. And I, I think that that even uh, stops the people to go out and reach other people because what's the point if we go out and reach people and they can't come to church, we can't disciple them. So people don't want to uh, go and evangelize. And just to sum it all up, uh, our biggest uh, challenge includes the language barrier, the uh, dialects, and, uh, and also good training for local pastors, and also uh, the tribal differences. Um, Lisa and I would just uh, like to ask you or our church and everyone to pray for us as we seek wisdom, uh, God, uh, that God will give us wisdom as we uh, pray and pray for our future, even how we can be a part of that, how we can seek as we seek to uh, serve God even in the future.
Let's pray for those things right now. Would you join me in doing that? Father, you have blessed us abundantly. We have your word in our language. We can speak to the vast majority of the people in our country in the same language. Lord, and some of these, and we have opportunity for great training. So some of these things that Billy has spoken of tonight are very foreign to us. But Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die for us just as much as he died for the Comb tribe and every person in India and around the world. Lord, I pray that you would provide those that could translate the Word of God into these languages so that people might be able to read your truth in their own native tongue. Lord, I pray that you would provide good training for those that do come to Christ and are called to preach your word, that you would help them to be able to study and understand the truth and be able to preach it in such a way that they could do that work of equipping the saints so that they might know the truth, that they might be able to do their part to fulfill the great commission of teaching them to observe all things whatsoever you have commanded us to do. Lord, I pray that you would break down the barriers between tribes and languages, that the gospel might go forth clearly, that people might be saved and might grow in their faith and their understanding of truth. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to consider how we can encourage others to go and how we could even go ourselves. Lord, how we can pray for these needs and how we can be a part of seeing these things fulfilled. And Lord, we pray for Billy and for Lisa. Give them wisdom. Continue to use them in the ministry you've given them here. But even as they look towards the future of what you might have, Lord, that you would open the doors and close the others where you don't want them to go and provide for their needs along the way. Help them to walk by faith. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Billy and I were talking about this this afternoon about maybe a group of us could get together with him and he could take us and lead us on a little trip over there and get to visit these folks and get to be a part of that. Um, We're going to have an opportunity for several different mission trips. Even this year, just on Sunday night, Simon Peter mentioned about a trip over to Rwanda this summer in June, and I hope you'd be praying about it. Maybe the Lord have you go. It'd be a wonderful experience and wonderful opportunity to expand your heart for the lost around the world. There's, I know uh, James Collard and thinks maybe a couple other men are planning to take a trip at the end of June, first part of July, and go down to the Dominican Republic, Amen. share the gospel down there. Maybe some of you be interested in going with them on that trip. And I've been conversing with another missionary over in Eastern Europe about possibly going over there and taking a group of folks. I'd ask you to pray about what the Lord might have you to do this way. I think there's nothing greater maybe to expand your understanding of the need for the gospel is to go someplace that's unfamiliar to you, someplace that's maybe uncomfortable to you, and be able to see the needs there. I love what Brother Jan said last night. It's not because we feel sorry for these people, but rather we respect them as people who were created in God's image, and yet without Jesus Christ, they have no hope. We have the truth. Boy, we have it abundantly, don't we? We have opportunity to hear it all around us. 
And what a wonderful opportunity to be to share that. I would ask you to pray about what God would have you to do that way. Maybe for you right now, you say, well, I know I can pray. It doesn't cost you anything to pray other than a little time, and we all have plenty of that. I would encourage you to pray. We were challenged about that last night. Hope you wrote down some of those things that Billy shared tonight, that you'll add that to your daily prayer list. I encourage you to think about how you can give. Give a little bit. You say, well, I can only give a little bit. I love the story in the Bible of the widow who gave her two mites. The Bible says she gave it all. Be faithful with what you can give. It's not so much the amount. It's the heart. It's the desire, and God can use it. Be faithful to give, and then God might call some of us to go. Maybe go for a short term. Maybe someday you're going to move over to one of these places. But we know He's called all of us to go right here and to reach our own neighbors and our own friends and co-workers with the gospel. I want to share with you just a, uh, a missionary letter tonight. I know I've said this and just we've had other things and I haven't shared any of these. So I wanted to read one of these to you before Brother Jan comes and uh, shares with us what the Lord has laid on his heart. This is one of the missionary families that uh, our church is going to be taking part in um, helping to support and we want to be praying for them. I met Dr. Edgar Fagali many years ago now when I was a little boy. He came to our church. At the time, he was pastoring in Lebanon. This was back in the early 90s. There was a civil war going on at the time. Some of you will remember that. And his church was located in between where the two sides were fighting. And each Sunday, as it would come time to worship God... The people would stop shooting long enough for them to come to church. People would come from both sides, worship God together, and then go back. Lebanon at the time was full of refugees from other countries. People would come there to escape the conflict in their own places, in their own countries, uh, nations of origin. And so during some of that fighting that was going on, as these people came to Christ, as they began to grow in the Lord, some of them went back to their home countries and began to start churches. And I think just like God did in the city of Jerusalem, there in the book of Acts, as he scattered the believers out so that the church and the gospel might go forth, God did this in a small way with this church in Lebanon. And there have been over a hundred churches that we know of that have been started all over North Africa and other countries of believers that came from this church in Lebanon. So now, Dr. Fagali, he's not still pastoring that church. There's another man pastoring that church, and he's dedicated his life to traveling to these other countries and meeting with these other believers and helping to start churches and establish churches all over the Middle East, North Africa. They were part of starting the first Baptist church in Iraq. Isn't that neat? You say, he talks about how the war over there opened the door for them to come in. They established a Christian radio station right there in Baghdad that every day transmits the gospel all over the country there. So there's a lot of things they're doing. I just want to read to you their latest update. This is about some of the things going on in northern Sudan. He said, Dear Pastor and Praying Partners, on December 20th, an uprising started in the country of northern Sudan. There were thousands of people that took to the streets against President Al-Bashir and his army. This 
uprising received absolutely no attention from any news network in America. You probably didn't hear about that. I didn't hear about it. But our missionaries know about these things. He said, yet it is spreading throughout the country of Sudan. On Friday, December 28th, the demonstrators declared a day of wrath, saying it will be a one million march. So far, the Sudanese army has shot and killed many of the demonstrators. But the demonstrations are not stopping. Violence is spreading all over the country of northern Sudan. Najib and Inshira, along with our pastors in northern Sudan, are sending urgent messages asking the brethren in America to pray for the situation and especially for their safety. President al-Bashir and his regime have trained many terrorist organizations and in the past years they have attacked and persecuted many churches. Our ministry in northern Sudan continues. Isn't that a blessing? Even in the midst of all that attack, the ministry still continues. And the Lord continues to bless. However, Pastor Najib and his wife in Shira have asked us to pray for freedom, that there will be a new government that will grant religious freedom in order for us to ship Bibles, the ability to move our Bible Institute out from underground, and perhaps that we could put a radio station in the capital city that will reach the whole city with the Word of God. Also, please pray for our Bible Institute there because many of our Bible students come from a Muslim background. Dr. Edgar and Roseanne Fagali. There are many other needs I'm sure they could share. But I think it's helpful, it's sobering to us, isn't it, to realize the realities that many people face every day. We'd be praying for the Fagali family. Let's pray for them now, and then Brother Jan's going to come and share what God's laid on his heart. Father, I pray for the Fagalis tonight. Bless them, and especially the people that they're ministering to. Lord, I think of Pastor Najib and his wife. Lord, as they're ministering there in northern Sudan, as they're training other men for ministry, as churches are being started, even in the midst and under great persecution. Lord, we know if they were to meet for a service, they'd have to meet secretly for fear of their lives. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you've given us. And may we not take this freedom for granted, but rather use it as opportunity to go freely share the gospel with others, to worship you freely and openly, and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ loud and clear for the world to hear. Lord, I pray that there might be a radio station established there and other churches started and that you'd protect the believers there so that the gospel might go forth. But Lord, we pray all this according to your will, knowing that you're in complete charge of the situation and you love all these people and you sent Jesus to die for them. Help us to be faithful witnesses of the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Jan, come share with us what the Lord has laid on your heart. Uh, take your Bibles tonight and turn to the... Uh, oh, I can't move. Okay. Uh, turn to the uh, book of Job. The very last chapter, verse chapter 42. Uh, Everybody likes chapter 42, and you'll see why in a minute. Nobody likes chapter 1, okay? Uh, most preachers preach from chapter 1, never from chapter 42. Uh, but it's very important. Remember, we're looking for a healthy church so that missions may be healthy. If the church is not healthy, then missions cannot be healthy. 
Uh, you can have all the desire in the world to support missionaries, but if the church does not maintain itself in uh, reaching other people, the church could lose its ability to do that. And so we need a healthy church. Uh, we talked about the healthy church, uh, the mission of the healthy church. Uh, there is an official commission. We're ambassadors, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. And uh, then we also are, uh, we have an official ministry. That official ministry is reconciliation to God. Uh, God in Christ reconciling the world. Okay? Uh, and we must administer this ministry uh, properly if we're going to be uh, a healthy church. It has to be done. We have no choice. Uh, and uh, I won't go back through the other things, but I think you see the idea there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, and uh, the one major thing that we dealt with on Sunday night, which was very important, is we are constrained, Paul says in that passage, we are constrained by the love of Christ that we maintain this ministry. A healthy church must be held in the grip of the love of God. Uh, if, if we're held by any other grip, uh, I've talked to the people and they'll say, well, you know, we need to get a few more people so we can get a little bit bigger offerings. Uh, be very careful about that. That's a bad motivation. Okay? Uh, uh, you know, there's all kinds of motivations, but there's one thing that holds us like a vice grip. And that's the love of Christ. It's the only thing that constrains us to do the things that we should be doing in the proper way. Uh, and uh, then last night, the healthy church uh, is a church that is praying. First Timothy chapter 2, we dealt with the fact that we are to uh, pray. Uh, it's the first thing we ought to do. And of course, we talked about the city of Ephesus where Timothy uh, was living and the uh, worship of Diana uh, and how it was a place of darkness and it was a place of uh, uh, heathen uh, rituals and black magic. And we dealt with chapter 19 of Acts, which says that they actually burned $50,000 uh, uh, worth of books, basically, okay? that were black magic books there in Ephesus. Uh, and the only way to deal with that kind of world is if you're on your knees. That's the only way. Now, we can go out and we can march and we can carry signs. And uh, I'm not against that. I'm a U.S. citizen. I can do what I want to when it comes to those things, right? Uh, used to be able to. Uh, and, but our, our job is not to carry signs for issues. Our job is to reconcile the world through Christ to God. Amen. That's our job. You know, uh, one of the things that I always try to tell people is, how do you change the world? You change the world one soul at a time. That's how you change the world. And we got out of that business and look at what, business we've got now we've got a world that uh, knows not 
God. Why? Because the church became lax in the reconciliation ministry. We became lax in our prayer. We became lax in God's grip over our being and over our ministry. And that's what's happened. Now, in the book of Job, we're going to look at one more thing. You know, I have uh, people tell me all the time, uh, boy, we need a vision. And of course, they always go to the verse where it says uh, uh, they perish without a vision, you know, that kind of thing. That's not what that means. But uh, we don't want to disturb anybody that believes that, okay? Uh, the idea is there's no message of God. That's what that means, okay? And we got to have a vision. Well, I was listening to, uh, oh, what's that guy's name? I can't remember his name. Now, Kenneth Copeland one time. And he was talking about the vision that God had given him. And I listened to his wife one time. She's crazier than he is. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. She said that God directly had spoken to her and given her a vision. And the people of the United States will follow somebody with a vision even if they have no biblical basis whatsoever. You give somebody a vision. I, I've, I've watched churches... Somebody, people love to do business with church people. Do you know that? They're totally naive. They are so easily fooled because, you know, we have faith. Sometimes if I get to come back, I hope you ask me back, uh, I will do a series on Second Peter. Okay? Where it talks about add to your faith and so on and so forth. One of the things that you have to add to your faith is the idea of knowledge. You have, to, you have to have virtue in that knowledge. You know, your faith is neither good or bad. Did you know that? Most people think because it's faith, it's good. Listen, every crook out there has faith to believe that he can rob your home before you'll get home tonight. And he lives in that faith. He has the faith... That nobody will ever catch him. That's why he does these crazy things. You see, faith is neither good or bad. The only thing that makes faith good is the object. The object of your faith is God. Then it's good. Now, when we come to uh, visions, and these are big things now. And uh, I hear these words all the time, we're going to cast a vision. Well, I, got, I, I don't have any problem with that, as long as you don't try to find verses in the Bible to back that up. Everybody needs to cast a vision. You ought to go home tonight, talk with your family, and say, you know, this is where we're headed. God willing. Right? Uh, we're always talking about something to do with vision. Uh, in this passage... We're going to find out that it's not a vision, but it's who we see. It's what our vision is focused on. It's not a vision that comes out of our mind like a TV camera playing on a wall someplace. Okay, And uh, we know this is what God wants. You would not believe how many times Christians have been sold a bill of goods. Guy comes in, says... I can make you $5 million in your lifetime if you'll just invest with me. 
at $1,000. Somebody says that, look at him and say, you're crazy. I really don't need to talk to you, okay? I've worked with money a long time and it never grows that fast on my end, okay? It grows that fast on the other guy's end <laughs> that's selling it to me, okay? Always, never forget that. No one takes a business and loses money. You ever seen an insurance company go broke giving away money? No, they give away somebody else's money, okay? And we think it's a vision right here. No, you know what it is? We need to see God. He needs to be the focus of our eyes. Amen. A healthy church has a supreme focus on God. Now, look at this passage with me because now God is going to deal with Job. All of the detractors, all of Job's friends, they've been talking with Job and they've been trying to convince Job of this and that and this and that. And Job, you're, you know, this would not happen if you weren't in sin and just confess your sin and you'll be okay. Everybody was casting a vision of their viewpoint of Job's life. Never let people cast a vision for your life. It might be the benefit of their life, and they will use you. Okay? In this passage of Scripture, we read the following. Then Job answered the Lord and said... How would you like to have to give answer to God? Ever thought about that? This is the summons from God. This is Job answering God. In verse 1. And it comes from, verse, from chapter 38, verses 2 through 3. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. And 38, 39, 40, and 41, God shows Job just how small he actually is. Job, were you there when I created this? Job, were you there when this was created? Job, did you see Leviathan? Job, have you seen Behemoth? And all of a sudden, verse 1 of chapter 42, And Job answered the Lord. Now folks, I want you to understand something. There was a new Job standing in 42, different from the Job in chapter 1. Yes. He had learned, and finally, in all of his work with these people who were detractors from God's will for his life, God finally took verse chapter 38 and said, Job, now listen to me. And Job girded himself, and he stood upright like a man, and he was ready to talk with God. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that you decide in your life that you will be equal to the challenge of God Almighty. It is very important that you assume the role of one who says, I am ready to answer my God. Now, nobody says the answers are going to be perfect, but you need to be ready to answer God when He calls on you. And He will call on you at different times to answer to Him. And you have to be ready. And here, 
when he answers in verse 2, he says, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. His answer is very clear. The first thing he says to God is, after all of these things in my life, after all the loss of my children, the loss of my uh, wealth, the loss of my animals, the loss of my home, everything that I've lost. He says, I know, God, that you're able to do everything. He acknowledged the fact that God was able. Now, I, I have a real time listening to, and, and please don't take me wrong here. I have a hard time sitting in a classroom with a teacher reading to me and telling me what he knows about God but I know he's never experienced God. That's very discouraging. And here, the first thing that Job answers that he has learned from all of this is that God is able. Now, we love to run this to this and call it omnipotence. And by the way, it is. But it's God-like omnipotence, okay? Uh, if I had all the power in the world, but I couldn't control it, it would be dangerous to everybody around me. You know? Have you ever seen people that had everything they could want? We, we have some people right now, like the guy in Facebook and the guy in Google and all these people. They have everything they want. They can do anything they want to, and they're dangerous. We're afraid of these people. What will they do? They've sucked us into their web, and now they're gradually saying, you can't talk unless I let you. You can't advertise unless I let you. And if I don't like what you're saying, I will cut you off, and I will search out all the people that you know, and I will cut them off. These people are crazy. They're dangerous. And yet we have given them the power. But I want you to know the word here is able. Able implies beneficence. It implies that God can use his power. Uh, you mind if I use you for a minute as an illustration? That's all right. You can sit right there. You're, I'm short. Okay. Uh, it's like this. Here's a young man that came a long time ago, knew him a long time ago, uh, before he ever pastored or did anything. And he, he had that one burning desire. It was in his heart. His brother had the same desire. They were good young men. Good young men. And he says, Lord, I need to do this thing. I desire the office of the bishop. And so God takes a young man like that. If he infused his power, do you remember Elijah? And he ran before the chariot. And he literally exhausted himself in the power of God. You can't imagine how exhausting knowing the power of God is. It will lead you right into a bed. Because God's power is magnificent. And to imagine that God could take and put his hand on this young man. And say, it's time I'm going to use you. And he begins to infuse this young man with his power and his knowledge and his strength. 
And instead of it destroying him, God's power is so calm and peaceful and controlled that it fills him with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's ability, folks. Being able to control. One of the reasons they were afraid of the Russians was because they couldn't control their nuclear weapons. They didn't know what would happen. They, they had no control of them. And yet the United States could pinpoint a target and take it out with a nuclear weapon and it would only impact the area in which it was hit, basically. That's the difference between having ability. I know that you're able and no thought that you've ever had. The word thought means a device. You know, people are always uh, trying to figure out devices, aren't they? Uh, the next greatest gadget. It's wonderful. And they think this thing through and they go, well, if I make it do this and if I make it do that, it'll catch a better rat. A bigger one. Faster. They're always thinking of devices. And by the way, that's what this word means in the Old Testament. A device. A thought that takes on form. And all of a sudden, Job understood that no device ever brought about by God could be thwarted. Can't be done. Amen. The word thwart there means literally... To be defended against. You put up your walls. God will go right through them. You say God can't do this. He'll go right through it. Read history. You'll find the people that made those statements. Found out. There is no hiding from God. Though I go to the sky. He's there. I enter into heaven. He's there. Or I go to the lowest hell. He's there. I cannot escape him. All of this Job learned from all 41 chapters and his last few chapters of discussion directly with God Almighty. God is able. And his thoughts and ways cannot be defended against. He also restated God's question in verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel? This is a question God asked in a previous chapter. Without knowledge. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Job says it's me. Now listen to me. When it comes to the vision that the church ought to have, the people who are most likely to distort the vision is not the people on the outside, but it is the people on the inside. Oh, I know God. Do you really? Oh, yeah. God would have us do this. Would he now? And how do you know that? Well, I was drinking coffee this morning. Stop drinking coffee, please. It's bad for you, okay? It's too wonderful for me. I want you to understand something. I've just gotten to the, I'm, I'm, I'm going on 66. I have just gotten to the point where I, have un, I understand that I know very little about God. Okay? I mean, it's, there's so much more about God that I don't know. And Job, in all of his talking, by the way, a lot of words usually mean 
that there's a, a, a pool of ignorance. Okay? Uh, have you ever uh, heard of that program, The View, that's on TV? That is the biggest pool of ignorance I've ever heard. All words. We somehow think if we can all get together and talk, we'll come up with a solution. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There are a lot of people that can't even balance a checkbook. You think I'm going to listen to them about anything? <laughs> if you can't balance a checkbook, go get into reality, okay? Or you could be so young that you think the world is going to end in 12 years, okay? Some of you, you, you don't read the news? Okay. Uh, <laughs> should I explain that to them? That crazy lady out of New Jersey that got elected that's the socialist... She announced last night that the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't immediately embrace something about climate control. She's crazy. She's certifiable. She needs a keeper. They need to put her in a rubber room. Okay? The whole thing comes down to the fact that all the world, words in the world can't make up for one right understanding of God. Uh, he goes on to say here, and, and listen to what God says to him. I love this. This is my favorite part of this. He says, here I beseech thee. In other words, God's talking. Job is recording what God has said to him in previous time. And he says, I know you've said here. In other words, listen to me, Job. Have you ever had your mother come up to you and go, listen to me, please? I love that. They're good at that. My wife will come up and go, we need to talk. Oh, man. Oh, no. I'm in trouble. I know it. I don't know what I've done. I just start profusely saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't even recognize it. And she'll go, no, no, no. We need to talk about something. And I love that talk about something. What does she say? We need to talk about the fact that the car's not running. Oh, no problem. Let's talk about it. But no, we got to talk about something. Boy, that won't get you. Nothing will. And, uh, and uh, you know, well, why can't we talk about it right now? Well, I'm busy right now. Yeah, but I want to talk now. <laughs> Let's get this thing over with, right? Let's just go buy it, all right? Uh, and my wife, oh, I, I, I had to learn that, you know, ladies do that. That was real hard on me at first. I just didn't get that one at all. Uh, here he says, listen to me. Job's been talking. He's been talking to everybody. Not talking to God. I will speak. God has something to say. Listen to him. I will demand of thee. God does not offer suggestions. <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, I think... A, this, B, this, C, this, and which one is it? All of the above. <laughs> I don't know. God doesn't do it that way. He speaks to us. And then he said, Job, here's your responsibility. After you've listened to me, and after I've told you what I need to say, and all of this has been done, then you need to declare to me. 
Have you ever declared to God? Have you ever told God what you actually believe down deep in your heart? I mean, he knows it already, but you need to say it so you know it. And all of this is going on in 42. So we come to verse number 5. And Job says in verse number 5, here's his declaration to God. This is his declaration. He said, I heard of thee by mine ear, but now my eye seeth thee. What's your vision, folks? Have you only heard about God? Oh, man, I tell you what. You sit through, uh, uh, you know, 20 years of church. Then you go off to some college, maybe a Bible college. You sit through four more years of everyday hearing, 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 hearing. And then you get out, and there's only one thing you know, and that's what you've heard. And some of the things you heard came out of books because the people teaching you had never done anything but hear about God. And a church cannot live on hearsay. You just can't do it. I've watched churches, and I've been in churches long enough to know that the churches that are alive... Now, we're not talking about massive ministries. We're talking about alive on the inside. And if you've ever been in a church that's, in a, that's alive, you know it. I never forget, I was in New York, and uh, uh, I went to this church. First thing was, all the independent Baptist churches were about 30 people. This guy had 1,300 people in New York City. Great, great congregation of people. And I went to one prayer meeting. And I never will forget it in all my life. I can still remember walking into the room. And those good, godly people got down on their knees. And I never will forget, a man prayed. He said, dear God, will you please watch over my daughter? She has to walk in an area that's very dangerous. Lord, don't let anything happen to her. And friend, I tell you what, that was like molasses pouring over you. All of a sudden, you felt it. And that congregation and that prayer time just continued to the next thing. And great urgency and strength was in it. And it was alive. And people flocked to that church. Because they saw God in that church. It's not the pews. Listen. Uh, nothing against, uh, you know, upgrading the church. I think you need to do it, brother, okay? But the pews don't make everybody better. The, the adage, build it and they will come, is pure lunacy. Okay? People come to where God is. If they can just see Him. If they can just get close to Him. And Job said after that, I now have seen you, and I despise myself. You know, uh, the world tells us you've got to learn to love yourself or you can't love others. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where do we get such lunacy? When you see God, 
you will see a mirror image of yourself as opposed to him. And you will deplore your very existence. The word actually means to reject your existence. And he said, I repented. When you are impacted so strongly in your life by the presence of God, and you have seen him, you will despise your sin and you will repent. You will despise who you are. I, I've just found this out. I've preached this passage for years. But God showed me. I mean, it was just, as I was reading the scriptures, I finally understood what a terrible sinner I am. And I despise it. And every morning when I get up, I go, Lord, please forgive me. I'm a terrible sinner. Now, has he forgiven my sins? Yes. Am I on my way to heaven? Oh, boy. Wait till my wings sprout. I got news for you. You've seen nothing until they pop out. Okay? I'm headed that way. Nothing's going to stop me. Jesus paved the road and provided the vehicle. It's just a matter of time. But I want you to know something down on this earth. In this old body of sin. I know who I am. Because when you look at God. And I've seen the Lord. Oh I haven't seen him in. You know visible form. But I've seen him. Uh, it's like when the wind blows. You can't see it. But boy you can feel it. That's how it's exactly explained in the scriptures. I have been right there at the moment when God did things that everybody just goes, you can hear it. It just takes the breath away from people. I never will forget, we were in the jungle one time, deep in the jungle. And uh, we, put, we had a little clinic going, uh, and a lady brought her baby. And I never will forget, the baby's eyes were already... Uh, going up in, the, in its head. There was only a matter of time until the baby would pass. All the doctors recognized that. All of us knew that. The baby had a high fever. Uh, and so our nurses immediately took the baby from the mother. Now they wrap them. If they've got a fever, they don't want the wind to hit them. So they wrap them and bake them. And so the nurses tore off and the clothing and all the blankets and the mother just about went nuts. And they took a big tub of water and down in that water they put that baby trying to cool that baby off. And I looked at the doctor and I said, Doc, is there anything we can do for this child? He goes, I have no way of saving this child's life. So we went over to a box and before God, what I'm going to tell you is the exact truth. I will not lie to you to get an effect. He starts going through that box. And he picks up a vial of medicine. And he looks at it and he reads it. And he says this to me. He says, I don't believe this. This is exactly what we need. You know where it came out of? Some hodgepodge medicine that people gave to us before we left. We didn't even order the crazy stuff. He went over, he took that needle, he sucked that stuff in, ran to that baby, and bing! Two hours later, the little baby was sitting there going, oh! 
where you know how babies are, you know, making noise, talking, everybody's playing with the baby, you know, and looking stupid. That baby must go, these are strange people. But, you know, it was marvelous. That was God, folks. I was right there at that moment when it happened. And boy, I tell you what, you're talking about rejoicing. You're talking about worship. You know, we're all going, well, let's worship the Lord. Please. (laughs) You can't do it that way, folks. You want to worship God, go out there on the streets and win somebody to the Lord. You'll come in here and worship like a wild man. They'll have to go, okay, you got to sit down now. we got to keep the service going. And then you'll be back up 10 minutes later. And the preacher will go, would somebody take him out? Okay. Why? Because there's worship in that man's heart. God just did a miracle for him. Amen. That's when you see God. I never will forget. And I'll get us through here in just a minute. Just hang on with me. If you could just give me uh, what time. I don't even know what time it is. Good. I don't see a clock. We're all okay. All right. I never will forget. Uh, <laughs> I was on my way out to Kansas City. Uh, and uh, so I was just pulling in the airport at RDU, Raleigh-Durham uh, Airport, okay? And uh, the phone rang, and I answered it, uh, and it was uh, AirTran. That was back in those days. Uh, and I was, I answered, and they said, uh, uh, we've canceled your flight, and, but if you can get to the AirTran desk, uh, U.S. Air has a flight that will get you to Kansas City just a little bit later, but not much later, less than an hour. So, man, my wife and I, you know, you did that airport run. Remember O.J. Simpson? We, yeah. And uh, you're jumping chairs and tables and people and children, you know. And you get to the crazy desk, and they've got it all made out, and you take it, and you run, and you try to get through TSA, you know. Uh, the greatest loggerhead in the world, you know. It's just completely blocked. And so you finally get through, run down to the gate. You're so tired that you can hardly breathe. And they put you on the plane, and there's nobody on the plane. I mean, literally. I could have blindfolded myself, thrown a baseball, and hit an open seat. Nobody was in danger. But a computer, (laughs) in its great wisdom... Decided to put three of us in a row. You believe that? Here I am in a plane that has nobody on it. And they got all three of us sitting in the same row. <laughs> oh, I tell you. And so I, my wife was sitting in the middle. I was sitting here. And there was a, a man sitting next to the window. Uh, and my wife was reading a sewing book. She's a seamstress. She's really good at it. And so uh, she was reading it. Uh, and the man asked her, I had told her, I said, as soon as we get up in the air, we'll move over to the other side, give this guy plenty of room. I know how it is when you're flying and so on and so forth. So he asked her, he says, why are you reading the sewing book? She goes, I'm a, I sew. And he began to tell her about a product that he made. And he was on his way out to Kansas City to advertise the product at a big uh, lawn care convention. It's called uh, Tree Gator. And you wrap it around a tree and it just leaks water. So you save a lot of your uh, uh, materials that you, do, that you use for landscaping. 
And he said, yeah, we have to sew the bags and we have to do all this and all of this. And he said, where, where are you guys headed? And she goes, oh, we're going to Kansas City. And she told him what I did. Well, now, when I got on the plane, uh, a company down in uh, Charleston called me, Water Mission. This was at the time of the tsunami. Do you remember in 2004 and five? So I got on the... Uh, plane, having received a phone call, I had 15 water filtration plants donated if I could move them overseas. Those were $20,000 a piece. $300,000. Okay? And so we got to talking. I told him about that. Well, in those days, everything went through Charlotte, U.S. Air. And so we landed in Charlotte and got off. And they did something with the plane. I don't know what they did. And uh, so as I was getting off, I called Dr. Bob III at Bob Jones University. And I said, Dr. Bob, I've got this. And I just want to know if the university wants to get involved in this. And he said, Jan, I'll call you back. I said, okay, no problem. So, stayed there, drank Coke, started getting on the plane, and all of a sudden the phone rang. And it was Dr. Bob. He said, Jan, we got $50,000 we'll put in it. I said, okay. So, while I was getting my Coke, I called Samaritan's Purse. And I knew that Samaritan's Purse had a 747 sitting in Charlotte. And I said to the guy there, I said, hey, look, I need 15 positions on that 747 I've got 15 water plants. And the guy goes, yeah, I know these plants. That's a lot of space. I said, I understand, but I could really use the space. And he said, well, I'll have to get with the logistics people, and we'll talk about it, and I'll call you back. So I said, okay. So we're walking back to the plane, you know, and the guy looks at me and says, what was the phone call about? I said, well, uh, that was um, uh, the president of Bob Jones, and uh, he said that he would put $50,000 into this project. And he looked at me and he said, now, wait a minute. You got on the plane with $300,000 donation. I said, yeah, but it doesn't always happen that way. And he said, now you're getting back on the plane after an hour and you've got 50 more thousand in cash. And I said, well, yeah, but keep in mind, it doesn't always happen that way. So we talked and he told him about how he's winning all of his uh, people to the Lord in his plant there in Raleigh and how much he loved the Lord. And oh, we just had a great time. So we got off and headed toward the carousels. You know what it's like in Kansas City. And so as I'm walking to the carousel with him, the phone rings. And I answer it. It's Samaritan's Purse. And they said, you have 15 positions, but if the material's not there by 10 o'clock on Monday morning... We won't wait, nor will we hold the positions. I said, no problem. I got a man waiting to pick those up and drive them straight to Charlotte from Charleston. And so, and by the way, we did that. And he said, what was that? And I said, well, they gave us the 747. He goes, now, 300,000, 50,000. You get off the plane at your final destination and you've got a 747? And I said, well, keep in mind, it doesn't always happen this way. He looked at me and he said, uh, he said this is amazing. He said, you're going to hear from me. Well, everybody says that when I tell my stories, you know. 
Two weeks later, there was a $5,000 check sitting on my desk. Since 2005, he does thirty to 40000 a year for Operation Renewed Hope. We weren't supposed to be on the plane. We weren't supposed to be sitting side by side. How did, he, how did this happen that it came at the very time we had an offering of $300,000 worth of water plants? God was right there at that moment, folks. I have seen the Lord. And you don't have to get $50,000 to recognize the Lord's hand as he passes by you either. You just need to be spiritual enough to recognize that's God. That's God. And when you see the Lord, transmit that to your children. Never let, it, never let a moment go by until you can get to your kids and say, kids, I want to tell you something. God just did a great thing. My boys right now <laughs> would believe anything I would tell them. I've got four more stories to tell you. I don't even have time to tell you. And they're even better than that one. I've seen the Lord. You have two. You just don't know it. When you see the Lord, you will have a healthy church. And we're not talking about miracles. Fabricated miracles. We're not talking about raising the dead. We're talking about a church that engages that world. And God says, I like that. I think I'll work in their behalf. And it's little things that he does. And you praise him for that. And it becomes a ritual within your church that you constantly are praising God. And that's called worship. I love it when they say, okay, let's sing this song like we really mean it and let's worship the Lord. I just want to get up and walk out. <laughs> you know? I'm sitting there going, when I got in, it was like a funeral home. I was waiting for him to roll the casket down any minute. You engage that world. You follow this young man as he engages the world. Now, I can tell you this. He's not going to lead you astray. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got a strong understanding of what's good and what's bad. And he's always cautious to check before he steps. And as he leads you into that world out there, you go with him and you will have to buy bigger buildings and you will have to have more pews. Not for the sake of appearance, but because you've got to sit these people someplace. They're on the floor. Why? People love to go where God is. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless this time. May we be healthy in having seen the Lord. May we place ourselves in situations where we must know your presence and enjoy your fellowship and see your power. Lord, may we hear you. May we obey you. And Lord, may we see ourselves as we are, sinners, and may we despise it. And Lord, may we repent and find comfort in Jesus' name.
Amen.